Welcome to the Mosaic Church Podcast, where we share with you the message of hope and love that lies at the core of the Christian faith. Our weekly sermons delve into the teachings of the Bible and how they can impact our daily lives, inspiring us to journey together towards a deeper understanding of God's infinite love. Join our community of believers as we embrace the power of faith and embark on a transformative spiritual journey. Mosaic Church in Mableton, Georgia exists to lead people to an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ to help them change the world. Now, please enjoy this message from Pastor Broderick Santiago, lead pastor of Mosaic Church. Today we'll focus again on this gospel of Mark and you know, what his message exactly is and what it is that he's trying to say about Jesus and what that portrayal of Jesus looks like, that being that Mark has one that's very specific to him that's not exactly like the book of Matthew or like the book of Luke or the book of John. And so one of these, uh, these more, so who, like this guy Mark, who is Mark, is one of the questions that comes up often talk about when we read the Bible, that it's very important you begin to look at it and say, okay, what, what, are, the, what are the right questions? So as you read it, what questions come up, and then how do you answer those questions? How do you look at those questions, and how do you seek those answers? And so the first thing being, you know, say, okay, well, this is the gospel of Mark. So who, who is this guy, Mark? Who exactly is he? And one of the most widely accepted traditions is that Mark was uh, an assistant to Peter, and then eventually to Paul, Peter being one of the direct disciples or apostles of Jesus, and Paul being one later who was later converted on the, what is Damascus Road experience. And so there's this, uh, this well-known teacher and actually a bishop in the early church named Papias, and he's, uh, he's quoted as saying that uh, basically Mark was a guy that followed Peter around, and he wrote everything down as Peter told it to him. And not necessarily in order, so then Mark takes it and tries to order it as best that he can, and he tries to make some kind of sense of it. And then even from there, he writes it in a way where it, it really gives the message that he's trying to give to an early church. And so the truth is, honestly, there's really not enough evidence. Even with uh, Papias's, uh idea of who Mark was, that there's not enough evidence really in the, in the Bible itself to really say who this, this person was, who this writer is. But we've come to accept that as a guy named Mark or John Mark, who's often mentioned throughout the New Testament. So we don't have that evidence, but we do have evidence that he did this, whoever the writer was, that he did and write, he wrote this letter for a very specific reason, this biography. And so it's for a specific people, for a specific time, for a specific purpose. And so we know that this audience that he has in mind, the original text we have is written in this, this really very common Greek. And so the reason that, uh, that, this, that the writer does this is that he wants everybody, he wants as many people to understand it as possible. It's almost like the idea of, say, if we uh, visit the continent of Africa, there's a, a language that goes across Kiswahili or Swahili, where there are many languages being spoken throughout the continent, different countries, different dialects, but there's this one that kind of helps to interconnect some things and helps us to communicate. And so that's the same idea here where there are many dialects going around in Jerusalem and around that world and this, this, uh, at this time with this, this very common Greek makes things easy to understand. And so he's writing this in a way that people can have more access to it. And that kind of brings us to our first point. So this, this gospel that the, the writer has written, we'll, we'll refer to him as Mark, it's a gospel that's, it's a written gospel that is meant to be heard. Again, it's a, a written gospel that's essentially meant to be heard. 
So we think about it now in our times. Okay, this was written just for us, just for us to read, for us to understand who Jesus is. But him as a writer, what he was doing was really writing something that somebody could remember. That's why it's a very short, very action-paced writing. So the vast majority of people, and even Christians around that time, were essentially illiterate or non-literate people. So you have this thing, they're not going around as we do, picking up a Bible. So they're more passing around stories, again, or tradition. And he wanted it to be something that somebody could really relate to. So the writer wants us to know what's going on. And we see a lot of things going on here where we see all these different devices going on in this story. So there's a lot of repetition. There's a lot of summaries. There's all these different storytelling things that helps us to really relate to what's going on. And so what he really wants to do is really draw you in. He wants to draw you in and help you identify with exactly who Jesus is. So Jesus as this uh, essentially conquering hero. He wants you to align yourself with the hero. So that's kind of the mark of a good story. So we all know that if you see a good movie or, you know, you read a good book or you find a really good show on Netflix, you know, it's one of those things like, what are you really identifying with? And it really, when I was thinking about it and uh, and preparing for this, I thought about it. It's almost like as we connect to these shows and books, it's almost like uh, our grown-up version of ourselves just as we were were as kids. So I thought about me. I've told you guys a couple weeks ago how about my, like, kind of Superman, superhero complex kind of thing and the tattoo and T-shirts and all those things. But it's like this very basic thing you have. It starts as a kid. I remember it's for Superman. If, if Superman could fly, then I could fly. You know, if uh, he wore a red cape, I was going to wear a red cape. If he was faster than a speeding bullet, so on and so forth. You know, kind of that's how you begin to relate as a kid. And even now you think about it again and say if you, as I've often done, I don't think I'm alone. You kind of go on a Netflix binge. You know, it's a, and so what's that like? I and mean, why does that happen? Why do you find this show? Like, why is this show so interesting? And for you, it may be maybe your deputy sheriff, Rick Grimes, and maybe that's your thing. Like, you're, you're walking dead is your thing. Or, you know, maybe it's uh, somebody from the Game of Thrones on time. Maybe that's your show. Or maybe it's Olivia Pope. Maybe you connect somewhere with her. Maybe not always, but you connect somewhere with her. You know? Or maybe, again, not in always. Maybe it's, uh, you know, Mary Jane. Whatever, whatever your thing is. And uh, I'd say for me to kind of, I guess, a little bit of a departure is, uh, I guess, a strange uh, comparison. And my wife is probably going to laugh at me. She's laughing now. I, my, my latest binge was Sons of Anarchy. So uh, I don't know if I can make Jack's teller in a Jesus Christ, but, but there's this idea. Like, I, I really connected to this show and why it was. So it was like this really character-driven thing. And we found now that the shows we like most are really character-driven. Like what's behind it? Why are we following it? Why are we so deep into it? And so I think about it, as things are going on, like no matter how violent sometimes the show got or I still saw this, this, this thing inside this main character, again, his name is Jax Teller, where it was this, this struggle to try to be good, but at the same time, he's having to do bad things in order to keep his motorcycle club going. And for those that know, this show is particularly about this, uh, a motorcycle club uh, in Northern California. And, it's just, uh, and his, this, this young guy, he's 30-something years old, he's trying to keep it going. But anyway, I found myself really identifying, and I found myself, okay, I watched season one probably about a week, then season two probably the next week, then season three, they knocked out season four in about a weekend. You know, it's just kind of this thing like that's kind of what we do. We find something we like, we go after it, and we begin to really spend some time with and identify with the main character. So that's exactly what Mark is trying to do with this story. So I think I asked everyone, if you could, to try to read the Gospel of Mark on uh, this past week. And as you read it, I'm hoping that you saw him begin to identify, okay, with this, this character, essentially, of, of Jesus. You know, what that looks like. What does Mark Jesus do? And what, is he, what kind of things does he carry out? And you'll notice that in Mark's book, there's this, this common motif. So, okay, it's like uh, he jumps from one thing to another. There's not really like a lot of, of teaching. So we go, then this happened, then that happened, then just then, then after that. 
And that's the way it moves constantly. It's constantly moving. He, he talks about Jesus' teaching. He doesn't really give us a lot of Jesus' teaching. It's all about the action. Like, who is this guy, Jesus? This is what he does. This is what he did. And with that, uh, as he did that, what he really was looking to do was, it brings us to point two, is that it was, uh, the book was written to encourage Christians under persecution. So even as he's drawing people in, he's also wanting to encourage those in that world. So we're looking at right now, maybe about 30 or so years after um, Jesus is crucified, buried, and resurrected for this particular one. So we're looking at the year about, around, it's usually dated somewhere around the year 64 or 65 if we can kind of wrap my minds around that, just even going that far back. And there's this time, you know, as people are still kind of becoming new Christians and really trying to figure out what this is, there's this big fire, a huge fire in Rome at the time that, that basically almost burns Rome to the ground. And so the emperor at that time, I believe it's Nero, he says, okay, well, we need somebody to blame this on. And some people say Nero did it himself. We say, okay, we got to find somebody to blame this on. It's going to be the Christians. So they, they put this thing out, okay, well, the Christians burned down our city, so now they're going after all the Christians. That, that's the idea that now there's this, this, this bounty out for all Christians. And they're basically being martyred at alarming rates, even like this is really when a lot of the disciples and the apostles lost their lives, was doing what we call like this reign of terror for Christians. And so Mark is trying to find a way, okay, well, how can I encourage people just to keep going? How can I encourage someone to keep their faith as we've heard these stories and we've heard them pass down word of mouth from disciples, from apostles, how can I keep people going? And so he writes this, uh, this particular, and it's, it's, it's out of order for the time. You, most folks will write a letter, and Mark chooses to write a, like a narrative biography. And he wants to encourage people just to, to keep their faith, to keep moving. And so he wanted people to really see a suffering Jesus. And what does that look like? So if Jesus suffered, how can I keep going? How can I also continue to suffer and know that there's something good for me in the end of all this? Like, what's the good at the end of all this suffering that's going on? And as I was reading this, I was reminded of uh, many uh, a slave narrative that I read of uh, our African-American ancestors and, and just what that looked like. You know, um, how did they keep their faith? How did they continue to move? And even as they were being, as their religion was being stripped and they were being given this other religion, they still found ways to make it their own. And saying, okay, well, if this, uh, this Jesus that you're now telling me about, if he went through this suffering, then I can also go through this suffering and come out at any end on top, even if it's not just for me, that somebody, like somebody, my, my grandson, my great-grandson, somewhere down the line, if I can continue to go through this, we can make it. And even if you look back at, uh, I want to bring your attention to this particular passage, and it occurs in uh, Mark chapter 1, and that's verse 14. 15. It says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news. So that's that good news. We know we, re- we review that gospel was simply a way of saying good news. So we proclaiming the gospel of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is, has come near. Repent and believe the good news, the gospel. So what does this tell us? What, what, what do we hear? What do we, uh, what do we pick up from that? So even Anissa talked about that suffering, and, and Mark kind of does it subtly because he, he tells a story about how John is the one that proclaims that Jesus is going to come, and John says, I'm not even worthy to get down and unloose this dude's sandals. I should, I'm, not even worthy to, I'm, I'm not worthy to untie his shoes, basically. That, that's how great this guy is that's coming. And so when Jesus comes... Eventually, John is put in a prison, but there's no story as to, in Mark's gospel, why, why was John put in prison? 
we find out through other gospels that basically he was preaching against a lot of what people were doing and people didn't like it. So they threw him in jail. But uh, Mark's gospel just jumps right there after. Again, there's that action where after John was put in prison, you know, Jesus went into Galilee. So even there, very subtly, we see that there's this uh, idea of suffering. That even as John was doing God's work, excuse me, as John was doing God's work, he still was put in a prison. So that's not this, uh, you're not exempt from issues. Like even there, that, that very short line, we realize that even as Jesus is kind of coming into his own, he's about to proclaim the gospel, preceding that we see that after, after John was put in prison. So there's this idea of that, uh, that Jesus is coming to do something, but still in doing this, there's something that still may come for him. So is it going to be prison? Is it going to be something worse? There's a little bit of foreshadowing going on. Again, Mark is a, a good storyteller. But we'll move into uh, another example. If you guys either have a physical Bible with you, or you may be able to pull it up on your phone with your Bible app. We go to uh, chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. And I'll give you guys a minute to get there. So it says, Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words and is adulterous and sinful in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And so what, so what does all that mean? You know, uh, is this, this this statement upon first reading of just uh, guaranteed suffering? Is that all it's about? You know, is that, is that all we see? You know, should we just pretty much throw it in the towel right now? If this is what we're looking forward to. Is that what it's saying? Or, and with that, where is the encouragement? And so in looking over it again, as Jesus talks about this idea of taking up your cross and being able to give your life in order in order to save it. And so what Mark is trying to do here basically is that saying, and even in the midst of whoever's reading this, whoever's hearing this, this written gospel that's meant to be heard, that there's a, there's a hope for you as far as Jesus coming back. And he's trying to give them hope as far as the Son of Man returning. So we see in, in verse 38, he talks about, uh, you know, when Jesus returning in his Father's glory and all the holy angels, again, there's this encouragement. So trying to build people up in what he's writing. So we move, move forward and go to chapter 13 and verses 19 through 13. Again, that's Mark 13, 19 through 13. So here we have Jesus talking again, and he says that you must be on your guard. And if you don't have it again, that's Mark chapter 13, verses 19. I'm sorry, not 13, so that's uh, 9 through 13. My apologies. So he says, you must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in synagogues on account of me. You'll stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. The gospel must first be preached. Again, we have that idea right here, the gospel, the gospel, the good news must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you're arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it is not you speaking but the Holy Spirit. So again, we have this thing that Jesus is not saying that you might, you might go through something. 
you know, it may happen. So Jesus is telling you, this is, this, bad things can happen from following me. And I think that's really hard for us to accept, especially in our culture, as far as realizing that something bad can happen from me doing something good. And that can be a very, very discouraging thing. Um, but in the end, as Jesus goes on, like brother will betray brother. That's chapter, verse 12. Brother will betray brother to death, and the father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate me because of you. But the one who stands firm in the end will be saved. And so, again, there's that hope. So, again, we think about this writer. Why is he writing? Why is he doing this? What is he trying to say? What is he trying to tell us about Jesus? What is it that his Jesus is trying to, trying to portray to us? And what's the overall message? So, again, that's the idea that there's a, a saving in the end. There's a God that's coming back for you, that, that all that you're going through is not going to be in vain. And so this picture that Mark paints again for us, and this brings to our next point of what, what, who is Mark's Jesus? So Mark's Jesus is human. And that's one of those things I think for many people in here that it's almost strange to hear, you know, because we, we've lived our lives of uh, this idea of Jesus being only as, as God, you know, Jesus being God. And so what Mark is showing us a very thoroughly human Jesus. He shows us this Jesus who has emotion. He shows us Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and, he, and Jesus is entertaining the, the, the idea of doubt. You know, do I really want to do this? You know, that, that, that throughout the gospel, we see that Jesus says, you know, God, if, if you could, take this from me. And this is not what I want to do. And we see this as uh, many people try to, in some ways, clean it up and say, well, maybe that was uh, his God nature not there at that time. But it's just it's a, it's a fact that there's this man who's in his early 30s, and there's this pull, this call that says that your life has to end in order to save the world. And so there's the weight of that. And so Jesus is dealing with that doubt. That's, that's, a, that's a very human feeling, the idea of being so stressed out that you begin to, to sweat blood. And I remember reading that one time as a kid, and I was saying, that's, that's not possible. And I've actually learned that uh, studies have shown that you can become so stressed, like literally scientifically so stressed, that your capillaries can begin to almost go into like your sweat glands. You can begin to sweat blood that you can become that stressed out. And so we have that kind of Jesus being given us here in, in, in this book of Mark. And we have a Jesus who, who needs other people around. He needs people to get the message out. He needs men and women around. And, and then this emphasis that we find that we so, again, so often emphasize the divinity of Jesus, that we lose sight of Jesus' humanity. I don't want to speak more to that, to that later. But we even see it in the beginning, again, of Mark where, Jesus is, uh, he comes to John, he wants to be baptized. And as you go back and read it, I, I, I invite you to do so. Uh, it shows us that before that, that John baptizes sinners. You know, John baptizes those who want to repent, who want to come back to God. So why is it that God himself is not saying, baptize me? And there's this idea that Jesus is almost showing us in how to identify again, how to come back to God in the right way, because that's the point of this life, to show us exactly how to do this thing. And so he gives himself over. And shows exactly what it means to present yourself as not being high and mighty, to present yourself as a fully human, even like a, as a, a human God. And, and so with that, we see that Mark's, Mark's Jesus is also very much the son of God. So his Mark is also very much the son of God. And there's this, this tension in that exists of being fully human, being fully God. So he's also 
So uh, Mark Jesus is very much human, very thoroughly human. But he's also very much the son of God. And so again, as a good writer, as a good narrator, Mark lets us in on a secret from almost the very beginning. And uh, this affirmation comes for us, we see it, but no one else is kind of privy to it. So after Jesus is baptized, as we mentioned, in chapter 1, it reads that he saw the Spirit come down. That he saw the Spirit come down like a dove and descend on, descend on him like a dove, and he hears God speak and say, you are my son. So he had not just this, this man born of a woman, you are my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. And so along with Jesus, almost like Mark continues to write. So it is like he, he writes and he, he lets us in on his secret. But as the story unfolds, we see this Jesus who was, again, the son of God, who almost keeps everyone else out of it. He's not telling his disciples. Even when as we see that he heals, he, he teaches, he, prof- he prophesies, he casts out demons. And I think even in the, in the, the casting out of demons for me is where it gets really interesting. Um, if you were able to read this week, we'll see where Jesus almost walks. He, he walks around and he's literally telling the demons what to do. So it's like upon, upon approaching someone who may be possessed, the demon says, I know who you are. Like, you are the son of God. I know who you are. Jesus says, be quiet. You know, just, just be quiet. Like, I'm not, I don't give you authority to even speak about who I am. And it was something for me that really, it really, it, it, it spoke to me in this way that, that we have the power to do the same. You know, we often, uh, there's this, this cliche of, um, we often, you know, tell God our problems. So we tell our big problems to God instead of telling our problems how big our God is. You know, it's something of the sort. And it's just that, that idea of, uh, and it's the same thing as, as things that are going through our lives. So I say it again, we, we often tell God how big our problems are instead of telling our problems how big our God is. And so Jesus, again, is, is, is teaching us, okay, well, this is exactly what you can do as for us. Okay, you have the power to, to tell these things to be quiet, to cast these things out of your life, to tell them to flee. And so with that, you know, Mark offers, point number three, he offers this, this Jesus who, who has this balance between humility and power. This balance between humility and power. And so what, what does that look like, you know, as far as this... Uh, this balance that we have to find and realize that we're indeed chosen by God, but at the same time not having that be something that puffs us up and makes us arrogant. So this is what Mark wants us to realize. And I think this is a good time to remind you that as, as we go through this, be sure to write down some things, write down some questions uh, that you may have, even for me, you know, because uh, again, we want to make sure this is more of a as, as a teaching pastor, it would not be the only way that I, I do choose to, to bring a message, but just a reminder that this is we'll go, go through this, and I want you to write things down. I want you to have questions and to be able to bring those questions as I, I close this out. And even as at the end of this, at the end of the month, we're going to uh, do an open discussion about what we've learned from the Gospels and what you found on your, your personal time, your personal devotion, and also what we've gleaned as we move through this. But again, Mark wants us to realize, he wants us to identify with this Jesus, a, a Jesus of action, and helps us to retune our relationship with God and to get lost in, in, in this, this character and reality of Jesus and for us really to become really cognizant, to become really aware, <clears throat> excuse me, 
of all. Simultaneously, we have this, again, this power, this authority as it relates to being all that God has created us to be. And so this biography is not just this thing where Mark just wrote it for, for writing's sake, not just biography, biography's sake. And it's not just for the sake of telling a good story. See, the writer took a bold step in, in, in writing this thing differently. He wanted us to, he wanted to write a story that would inspire us to really be like Jesus. And so again, that idea of whatever your, your, your childhood hero was, that you wanted to be just like, I think, uh, you know, my, my boy said he wants a, a Batman party, you know, next, so he wants to be Batman. And so the, the idea here is really, it's almost that simple. As complicated as it may seem at times, it's just that simple. That the story is really about pushing you to risk. say, I want to be like Jesus. You know, that's my hero. I want to be like Jesus. And not this thing, again, that we often find that, uh, and it's really, it's really pressed me at times that, especially as I've, I've grown older, that we often uh, get into a place now, both in tradition and in our lives, that we, we really worship, you know, worship Jesus so much as a God that we really lose sight of the humanity, that we really lose sight of the fact that we are to, we are to do it too. That everything that Jesus did, we find in the book of John, he says, you know, these things, and greater you also do. And so we, if we, uh, we go through problems a lot of times, almost, especially, I think, in our culture, almost looking for a savior or looking for somebody to pull us out. And that's not, that's not a, a fundamental issue with that, of having, uh, having Jesus be our, our savior, not just personally, but also of our community. But I think what, what Mark is telling us, and also Jesus is telling us, that the true point is to empower you. And not to have you in a place of being, of waiting or being crippled, of, of only waiting on, of not doing your part and waiting on a God or anyone else to come rescue you, but to say that, again, you have this, this power inside of you, that you have this authentic thing that this God spark inside of you, that God is saying, this is your mission, and saying, this is, this is the model I want you to follow. This is your hero. And if this is your hero, your role model, if you want to use that term, this is the way I want you to do this. And so we see uh, this interacting, this, this interacting with Jesus, he's, he's boldly with authority going through town and, and, and doing all these different things. And, uh, and with that, real helping us to remember that no matter what's going on, no matter what the future holds, again, we can, you can do the same. But at the same time, we are simultaneously, we're, we're humbled, humbled by the, the greatness of God and, and God choosing us for a special and for a specific purpose. On a, a personal level, I've heard people say about me in one way or another that, you know, that guy's really smart. Or, you know, that guy's really intelligent. And in, 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 as a younger man in, in, my, in my humanity, you know, it went to my head. You know, I was like, yeah, yeah I am really smart. I'm really smart. It's like, you know, whatever. And I would do this thing. In my, again, I, I met my wife when I was about almost 20 years old. She can, she can attest to it that I was, uh, I was a bully. You know, I was an intellectual bully. Like, I would get into debates just for the sake of destroying somebody. Like, just, it was just fun. You know, and then it's like, uh, it's one of those things that's not, it's not great to, to admit, but again, it's freeing to admit. You know, realizing that oftentimes we can have gifts, but then we begin to use those gifts against people as opposed to using those gifts to really build people up. And more, than, more importantly, than to, to build the kingdom of God. And I, I, needed to, I needed to be humble. And so as I've, I've gotten older and as I've learned more, even almost being motivated by this idea in the back of my head since I was a little kid, like that kid's really smart, that guy's really smart. And I began to just try to learn more and learn more and learn more and get smarter and just to be more of, 
as a, for lack of a better term, be just to, to be more of a bully. That's not the, the term I probably use outside of the pulpit, but uh, yeah. But as, uh, as I learn more, as I research more, I realize that, uh, that now I know enough to know that I don't know that much. Um, and I accept the fact, again, that, that my brain's different. I accept my gifting, but I think now it's, it's really, it's humbling. You know, that, that whatever your gifting is, it's not this thing to be used to, uh, to just build you up or you know, make you feel better about yourself. And I realize that uh, there's so much more out there to know. You know, there's so much more out there to be learned. There's one writer that I'm reading now, he, uh, he said it in this way. He says that uh, I'm not that important, but my name is written in heaven. And so, again, there's this, this, this juxtaposition of, of lowliness but exaltation, you know, of being, of being humbled by God but still being on your call by God. And I think that when we operate in that way, that it really puts us in a place to make a difference where you're not so much focused on, you know, the, the everyday problems that are going on, realizing, like, I know that God has got it. I know that God is in control, but even more than that, I know that God has put something in me to also handle this situation. And so it becomes good for you personally, but even more than that, if you're not focused on those things, it puts you in a place of saying, okay, I can make a difference in the world. You know, that it's not just about me, that God has put something special inside me that connects me with everyone else. That God has put something special inside me and that makes me realize I'm not that special, if that makes any sense. And so your security... And this, you have both this, 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 this overwhelming sense of security while also having this overwhelming sense of humility. And that's, the, that's this, 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 this tension that Jesus walks in almost for us. And when I say tension, it's this thing where it's almost like it's this pull that it's helping us all to move, maneuver through if you come to really realize what God is trying to tell you about yourself. And it's like the, we talk about Jesus as the son of God. And again, we get so focused on that that really what Jesus is inviting us all to is being, a, being adopted. So not saying just, not just to worship Jesus as a son, but to realize that you're also a son, you're also a daughter, that you also have the same. And so Jesus walked this walk, he talked this talk. And again, you know, the, the writer of Mark is, is trying to get us to do the same. So to, to close, you know, to, to always be, to move within this overwhelming security along with an overwhelming humility to know that God has gifted you to know that you're special but you're not that special thank you for joining us today our prayer is that Pastor B said something that moves you closer to Jesus if you enjoy listening to our podcast we would like to invite you to follow us on social media at Mosaic Mableton and visit us on our website at wearemosaicchurch.org. You can learn more information about our church, ways to support our ministry through financial donations, stay updated on upcoming events, and find resources to support your spiritual journey. We would be delighted to welcome you in person on Sunday mornings to worship and connect with others. Our doors are always open to those seeking a place to grow and explore their faith. Thanks for tuning in and may God bless you on your spiritual journey.